From in the beginning to the musical apocalypse, this is The Bible Says What. I'm your host, Mike Wiseman. Before we begin today's regularly scheduled program, I would like to thank Christina Hill for her patronage and for her comment about the show being better than any sermon she's ever heard. Thanks, Christina. You too could be immortalized into BSW history. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash BSW the podcast and sign up to be a supporter of the show. That being said, Darth Vader is a documented child killer. Countless people love this iconic Star Wars character. Adults and children alike dress up like him for Halloween, conventions, and even at bedtime. They wear shirts, shoes, and even pins that represent Darth Vader. But he's a documented child killer. After watching him lightsaber so many kids, I've always cringed a little seeing children wear clothes with Darth Vader on them. Yes, it can be said that just before his death, this mass murderer's heart grew two sizes bigger none of which excuses his actions against the young Jedi or the countless others he slaughtered along the way. Now, there may be some that have chosen to worship this character, but I'm sure the numbers are pretty low on that one. Christians, on the other hand, have completely thrown in their lot with their own personal child-killing character. They worship him and teach others to do the same. They'll even threaten someone with eternal hellfire for not worshiping their particular child-killer. Personally, I don't think anyone should worship anyone or anything, especially fictional characters that slaughter children. Let's start the show. Is there anything in the Bible that you yourself have an issue with? <laughs> Okay, so it took you reading the Bible to realize that those things were bad for you? Yeah, it actually did. I, I didn't figure this out on your own? No, Ted, Ted Bundy could be redeemed. God doesn't kill children. Does, what do you think the Passover was? Yahweh sets up a whole system in the Old Testament where you slaughter animals just so he's able to forgive you. Today's special guest is pastor and podcaster Kevin Sweeney. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Oh, man, I appreciate it, dude. Happy to be here. We got a little three-hour time difference, not too big, so uh, we're close in what, what the time of the day it is. So, man, thank you so much for... <laughs> taking the time and I've been telling people truly as a first time author without seeing me on other podcasts and seeing me connected with people you're like oh that that makes sense for me and that sounds great hmm. I appreciate you like taking the risk and inviting me on like so I'm, I'm happy to be here absolutely I think appreciate you taking the risk and coming on the show uh, <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about your podcast what do you, how's it going what's it called oh man what do you do yeah podcast is called the church needs therapy Mm. and you know that's one of those things where you know i'm aware kind of like the subtitle of my book which maybe we'll we'll get into depending on where this goes where i'm a lover of words and author as well i'm sorry i didn't throw that in there yeah (laughs) and uh you know the intrigue of you know the church needs therapy and my my cover art is very bold where you can see that And it's funny and it's clever, but it's also real in the sense of people only go to the only people who go to therapy are ones who still have some form of hope left. 
Hmm. Because if you didn't have any hope for that tomorrow can be different from today, if you didn't believe in the possibility of transformation or a further experience of joy or lightness or peace or however somebody would name their experience, they wouldn't go. So for me, hmm. with whatever critiques I have of all of the different expressions of the church, especially in our own country and our, where, we're, where we're at, that is a podcast that says, but there's still the possibility of growth and evolution and becoming wider and more hopeful and a more beautiful and a more inclusive version of where we all, where some of us hope this path is going. So mm -hmm. it's fun. My half of it is me doing my own teachings. The other half is bringing on guests like this. So yeah, it's, it's fun. It's also a great way just for me to connect with people because I'm so geographically disconnected. So yeah, it's, it's been fun, man. It's been fun. Well, that's what it's like living in paradise out there. Holy cow, man. Yeah, there's a price to live in paradise. It's very expensive. <laughs> and also we're very disconnected from a lot right. of the 24-hour news cycle for a lot of other people isn't the same here. Mm. Where people are still can be still socially and politically aware, but the culture and we have so much of our own things that happen here in Hawaii. And it's such a unique place culturally. And there's so mm. much that happens here that no one knows about on the mainland that for us it's it's yes like we're in technically we're in the united states of america but we have a different flow and pace of life and we're not as mm. wrapped up in the 24-hour news cycle here so it is we're connected but still distinct so it's a whole other yeah. environment that's for sure i've been there once Absolutely. as a kid man miss it it was awesome totally. that's, that's didn't you guys cool. have like a missile warning or something recently yeah i want to say that was maybe four years ago or something it feels and like I'm, forever I, i'm in right now this building called the collection so if i move this camera the listeners this is not good for you at all this is like downtown honolulu this harbor and there's an ocean right there amazing wow and so I'm, I'm on the 37th floor of this building so where i live in kakaako it's like the unofficial arts district right outside honolulu it's it's the urban core of honolulu towers condos you know mm. everything you can imagine in like a city environment and we were on the 40th floor when that happened and it was like missile like panicking my wife was across the street where there's like a, a outdoor kind of shopping social retail space we hit each other up like the, our building's putting us in the stairwell oh wow like, it was a no it was like there might have been sirens going off because they have tsunami <sighs> warnings here yeah. it was there was like a 15 20 minute stretch where people were like in like barricading themselves man that's so scary holy cow man and then like everything else in the end, everyone knows, oh, nothing happened. That's why we get tsunami warnings here or like or like a hurricane warning. There's going to be mm. a big hurricane. Usually they veer off. And it's like, <laughs> this is the peak of hurricane warning and people are just surfing and just hanging yeah. out the beach. Like, we've been it's a whole before. different world out there. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. You mean there's going to be big waves? Grab the boards. Let's go. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so much fun, man. Well, back to the, the, the fun stuff here. Um, so pastor, how long have you been pastoring? My wife and I started our church called Imagine almost 10 mm. years ago. Wow. Yeah. So we had like this neighborhood we live in. I knew about plans for this neighborhood before we moved back to Hawaii about 10 years ago. Mm. And, you know, it just represented this thin slice of the culture here in Honolulu where it is kind of like the neighborhood that they're shaping for the future where it's urban island culture. You know, it's like mm. anything you can imagine in a city. There's the microbreweries and the coffee shops. And we have a big street art festival that comes here once a year. So some of the best, our whole neighborhood's filled with murals everywhere. So wow. 
I just thought at that point, like tracing where the culture is going in so many ways and where the church is at, people like myself, I'm not alone in this process, would look at a city like that and say, these new cultural spaces require new, more liberated imaginations for the future. Hmm. You know, a, a people who are not trying to recreate the past, but people who are trying to create the future, not by forgetting the past, but by un, the by continuing the further unfolding, right? Just not to go recreate the same fire as 500 years ago, it's to take that same hmm. spark and to build and to create this new flame where we are. And are we just said, man, there's this new space that requires a new pastoral imagination and that's kind of what we lived into the past 10 years in this neighborhood and it's been amazing yeah huh is that where the, yeah. the imagine name comes from you know imagine actually that's a good question there is this theologian who i love named walter brueggemann hmm. and yeah walter brueggemann he wrote a book in 1978 called the prophetic imagination and he's continued to build on that concept forever and his main thesis almost for me for like all of his writing career is the prophetic imagination like the prophets in the old testament he's looking at and jesus as well is saying he says the hmm. prophet is a person who speaks a new future into existence for people in the present that exists beyond their current boundaries of imagination and he says by by imagining a new future he invites new social possibilities in the present so the prophet begins with creativity and imagination hmm. things can be different there can be more justice. There can be more equality. There can be more inclusivity. There can be more, et cetera, et cetera. And when the prophet imagines that and people have the vision, we then return to the president saying, how do we start building, working for that, creating some holy trouble, disrupting the present moment so we can build towards that future. So imagine was our version of doing that for the church here. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. What brought you to be a pastor to begin with was because I talked to a lot of pastors and some of them, it's a calling. Some people, they just, they had a feeling. What was it for you? <laughs> you know, I have a, a, you know, part of the book is, you know, it's me sharing defining moments in my own story, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, the book for people listening, is called The Making of a Mystic. And the subtitle is gosh, I, I can't remember right now. It is uh, my journey with mushrooms, <laughs> my life as a pastor and why it's okay for everyone to relax. There you go. And so I, I mean, come on now. I, I, and so and I tell, and, and I have a chapter in the book called um, mushrooms and missionaries. And, and it's about how psychedelic mushrooms were like missionaries in my life. Because I wasn't involved in, I went to like Catholic school as a first, second, third grader and stopped going and stopped going to mass after with my family. And they didn't push it on me, which I'm really grateful for. They just kind of let me be. And when I was a teenager, like I had no, I'm sure like if you talk to a lot of pastors, there are a lot of times in, in podcasts, like very evangelical-ish and they're in youth groups and they're in all those experiences and they go to the church camps. I didn't know anything about any of that at all. I wasn't in that world mm. as a teenager at all. And I started eating mushrooms when I was 16 and they started having this like guiding role for me in my life. You huh. know, like I tell, I tell a story in the book where Thomas Merton, who's one of the great mystics and Catholics and contemplatives of the 20th century, early on in his awakening days, I mean, this is probably like the thirties at this point, he 
there was this visiting Hindu monk, this well-known priest who was coming to the States. And I think he was going to be lecturing at divinity schools or something. Mm. So this young Thomas Merton, his name is Mahanambrata Brahmachari. So this young Merton, a young That's white a guy. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you just said it so fast. That's amazing. <laughs> at the end, I'm going to quiz you on that. Right? <laughs> and, oh and the other Hawaiian word, and, and, and the Hawaiian words that I say. Um, and... So Merton, this young white kid, goes up to him and asks him for guidance. And this brilliant Hindu monk, interestingly enough, doesn't point a young Merton to the Bhagavad Gita or his own sacred text. He tells Merton to read St. Augustine's Confessions, huh. Thomas Akempis' The Imitation of Christ, these you know, well-known Catholic writers. Mm. And Merton, I tell people, let's say Merton reads those, integrates them into his journey, and becomes this profound, prophetic, disruptive, amazing Christian author in the 20th century. I say... I don't think in that Hindu monk's job description, he had being a missionary for Jesus in his job description, right? <laughs> I don't I'm think like, that's <laughs> if you if you take the word missionary, and let me just, for your listeners, I'm, I'm going to temporarily suspend the urgent need to disentangle that word missionary from its white supremacist, colonial, mm. empire building, expansion, culturally mm. degrading, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. not that it's tied up and because it is and i hope for people listening and who care about the church or who are familiar with that term i hope we're all dismantling all of those unhealthy toxic forms of that so mm. but the good part is now that we're back here so, <laughs> and, I, and, I, and i i have my own version of that in my life that i'm doing but the healthy part of that term is okay a missionary is someone who's pointing someone further towards Christ, towards the source, towards truth, towards life. That's a good thing. Hope. And yeah, towards hope. Exactly. Which we'll talk about. I'm very curious about where you get your hope. And yeah. Where you get your hope. But, but go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. And, and no. And so if that's the case, that Hindu monk was a missionary for Christ for Merton. And in the same way, mushrooms were a missionary for me, pointing me beyond themselves towards towards life towards hope towards the source like you said i love that we just went to mushrooms this is amazing i, I don't think we've, <laughs> we've touched much on that except for the mushroom pizza episode um so mushrooms. so, so, so the, the past the reason i tell that to, to come back around to your original question yeah, the yeah. pastoral thing was this is all in the book i have these parts of my i have chunks of my life in the book and i have these experiences i keep doing mushrooms i feel them calling me beyond them to something true to the source to whatever i finally had this profound awakening moment with god when i was 18 while i was on mushrooms that completely re-altered my life rewired my consciousness and reshaped my future and to this day my pastoral calling my whole life with god is and always will be a response to that moment Wow. So a couple of years later, I had this sense of, oh, I feel like God's calling me to be a pastor. And the funny thing is, it's like, I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> I didn't know people said that really. I didn't Constantly. know about that. It was, <laughs> and I, I think the substance of that was the desire to be a guide for others. To be a guide. I've seen this. I've been liberated in this unique way. I've, I'm on this further path towards joy, towards more peace, except towards more courage and bravery and creativity, whatever it is. And my natural response is to want to help guide others and, and wake. So sometimes the spiritual teacher is just an alarm clock inviting people to wake up. And I think my response is to that. Yeah. Interesting way to put it. I like that. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Um, so these mushrooms, no, I, this is, this yeah. is amazing. I love this. Your church, uh, 
do you either use mushrooms or promote the, the use of mushrooms or how does that work in your church? Yeah, that's a good question. From that moment, from the time I was 16 to when I had that first initial encounter with God when I was 18, mm. I did mushrooms 10 times. And so that was my 10th time when I did them. Tenth and, time. and I never did mushrooms again after that. You know, Alan, Alan Watts, who's the famous you know, yeah. Yeah. 20th century teacher that a lot of people who are more, you know, spirit, the spiritual, but not religious folks, you know, mm -hmm. seeking awakening outside the church, no judgment there. You know, everyone has a unique path. Yes, but Alan nice Watts words. is one of their, one of their guys, you yeah. know, and uh, he has this famous line and there's, there's more to the quote where he says, you know, when you get the message, hang up the phone. <laughs> He said, he, he says, you know, psychedelic drugs are simply instruments like microscopes, telescopes, and telephones. And he basically, and he's like, you know, the biologist does not sit with the eye permanently glued to the microscope. He goes away and works on what he has seen. Hmm. And the reason why I bring that up is that's what happened to me. You know, I felt the mushrooms calling me beyond them to the source. And when I encountered the source for myself, like I tell people the mushrooms the ocean the ocean is god love grace acceptance etc so once i once they lead me to the ocean i don't need the directions anymore i don't need the signs anymore my my goal after that is to learn what it means to live in the ocean and trust the ocean and become the ocean myself to me You're to like go water, back to friend. <laughs> to go back to the directions would be going backwards. Why would I go back? I don't need the map, the Apple map anymore. I'm already here. Hmm. Now it's silence and solitude and these practices that keep me grounded and in, in, in the ocean for the rest of my life. So I always, even at 18, you know, when we, when people have big peak experiences, whether they're on mushrooms or they go to a Christian camp or they go to like Burning mm. Man or they're doing Molly at Coachella with their friends. There's many <laughs> different versions of these things. When it's over, like you're like, I, I discovered the truth of everything. You have these moments. Huh. And then by next Friday, you feel the same. Mm. And it's frustrating because we desire change and we really want that. And I, I know that. And then the most natural response for people is to go back and try to recreate the experience that led them to there in the first place. Let's do more drugs. No, let's go to a, let's pray. Hmm. Let's pay $500 for another Christian conference. No, let's go back to this thing. It's let's do sound baths now. And there's nothing, I'm not like dissing any one of those things, but hmm. for me, it was, no, we don't try to go back and recreate the experience. The point is to keep going further on what we've already seen and to keep be, and to become that, which we've seen over you, there. So and you don't need the mushrooms to continue that. You, you're you're nah. good. You've had it. You've had your experience. You're done there. So. Exactly. And, and so that was my thing at 18 was like to, I felt even maybe six months later when a part of me thinks, man, I want to do mushrooms again, just because they're, because they feel so good and they're so awesome. And I want to trip out and I want to do all that. <laughs> but then the other part of me is like, those were like, like Alan Watts said, those were the instrument that furthered me that called me beyond them and to go back to them and this is not like so, a pastor telling me this to me it was like that would be to betray the source of love and god that has accepted me and welcomed me because when i when i already have the source why would i go back to the sign so i i tell even in the book when i mention it briefly i'm like my story is not prescriptive for mm -hmm. people it's descriptive of my own experience and so do i 
do I promote? Am I a massive proponent of psychedelics? And especially with the reemergence of all the research now? No. Hmm. Do I say they're completely evil given my experience? No. You know, hmm. I have a bit of ambivalence because I'm like, is there research that can show how ketamine therapy, psilocybin, et cetera, can produce positive effects? Yes. Do hmm. I think most of the people who do psychedelics become leaders of justice, voices of compassion, these brilliant teachers? No, I think a lot of people like to get high, but that's not everybody. <laughs> so I'm ambivalent towards where things are. I'm like, I get it, but yeah. also I have my critique. I, of course, and this, so yeah. Do you think you needed the psychedelics in order to get in touch with God? Well, one, in, a, in an abstract general sense, no, I don't mm. think people need that. I think that was my story. Mm. I can't really answer that for myself because that was my journey, yeah. you know, but even for example, now I'm 37. So I was 18 when that happened. And in 20 years, I've never done psychedelics again and have still have a continued practice of conscious experience of God. I've had even uh, like profound, powerful, those kinds of more intense awakening moments with god but also a sustained practice of silence and meditation that keeps grounding me in the presence of god so i've continued that that initial connection became a union of relationship and a union that's so close for that time and there has been no further mushrooms or whatever involved in that process yeah. <laughs> well let's let's dive into your encounter so you're, you're on <laughs> drugs psychedelic drugs and you have an encounter with a being you believe to be god Mm -hmm. explain how this went oh man these are like all the the good questions right here i love it man. this is fun hey can you believe the listeners it's only 6 52 a.m right now in hawaii i'm gonna after we do this we're gonna click off on this call i'm just gonna sit back and try oh let me take a break really quick <laughs> i'm gonna jump into another conversation no, as soon as we're yeah. done here that's not okay yeah <laughs> i so okay on New Year's Eve, right? So this is this is my senior year of high school, hmm. right? Senior year, Christmas break, you know, we're not in school, we're just doing our thing. My girlfriend at the time who had moved to Hawaii and we broke up, that's a whole different story, who's now my wife, by the way. Uh -huh. um, she goes away, we're like seeing other people. She comes back at Christmas and we're like, we still want this, you know, we still really want this. And that was, that was a powerful, profound experience because I was in a darker place of questioning everything in my life, having an existential crisis, seeing beyond. I was supposed to play basketball in college. I was involved in music. Like I had mm. the life and I was just like, if I'm honest with myself, I'm not happy though. I'm just restless mm. and I just can't go to sleep with being sober. I've been like that for a long time. And like, what is happening here? What are the deep, where, what is driving me? Hmm. And when she came back, it was like a reigniting of the only form of light in my life. And it was powerful. New Year's Eve, me and her, we connected right before that. I go out, I eat a bunch of mushrooms, you know, which I'm, <laughs> she's not, I'm tripping. <laughs> we have a great night. And two nights later, I think to myself, I want to do more mushrooms. Uh -huh. because I loved them. And also it was the only place I ever felt that peace. Huh. You know, it was the only time I felt like fully embodied. Like I remember sitting outside of my plugs house. That's somebody who you pick up drugs yeah. from to sell. Right. <laughs> so when I was young and cause I was slaying it when I was a kid. And so I was sitting outside my plugs house at 17. I, I still, to this day, remember sitting under this like bench or whatever. And I was like, I just want to be dot, dot, dot. Huh. 
huh. and just be at peace. Like I'm tired of needing the next high. I'm tired of needing more attention from people. Huh. That was my whole life. Like, how do I, is there a way to me, that cry of my heart was like, is there a way to ever just be at peace? And I didn't huh. know. And mushrooms were the place where I felt that they were always giving me a glimpse of the goal I hoped for. Hmm. And so two nights after New Year's Eve, I, I'm like, I want to trip mushrooms again. I have a friend named Squirrel who will do anything of at course any his time, name is probably. Squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said in the book. I'm like, I was, I took way more mushrooms than I ever did with my friend Squirrel, parentheses, I should have known it was going to go bad. <laughs> and so we, you know, we eat, back then there's, we were microdosing. We were we were taking a lot. And so I eat all my, he's like, I don't want these. I said, I'm going to eat those. I, I was more mushrooms than I ever did before. Cause I was like fearless at that point when it came to that. Huh. And within usually at mushrooms, you peak at like an hour and a half. And I was like 45 minutes in and I was just like, dude, this, I started for the first time having a really dark and scary trip that felt very overwhelming. And it felt mm. like death was enveloped. It felt like darkness and death was like enveloping my entire being. And I remember just looking over at my friend Squirrel and I like looked in his beady little eyes in that moment. I was like, hey, I don't feel right. And he looked at me, he was just like, me neither. And I was like, oh, <laughs> he freaked me out. <laughs> and I remember I was like, bro, I was like, I don't, I was like, I need to go to the hospital right now. I was like, I need to be in a straight jacket, like strapped to a bed. I don't care if I get arrested. I don't care if my parents find out. Like I, I need to be under professional medical watch mm. and I'm not right. And something within me was like, call Christine. That was my girlfriend at the time who I'm now married to. Call Christine, call Christine. It's such a long story, but I go over to her house mm. when the house st stopped like shaking basically <laughs> and things calmed down. Me and my friend Squirrel were over there. And so my wife, you know, my girlfriend falls asleep and my friend's just in his own zone. And I laid there on that bed. I tell the story in the book and for the next couple hours, it was like I could feel light and love and life being infused into my entire being on an almost physical way. Like I laid there with this like un, what I would call this unguarded intimacy and openness that created room for spirit, for love, for grace, what however I would have named it at the time for the source to come in and just huh. radically it's like neo plugged into the matrix in the back of his head <laughs> like i got up from that bed a few hours later excuse me and i was like i'm a different person mm. i i was like with the limited religious language i had i mm. thought to myself that was a rebirth and it was not just a rethinking of concepts people can change their beliefs without changing they just think differently. Oh, cool. You believe this now. Great. That doesn't mean you've been transformed into a more compassionate person. You could still be an asshole and be like, but I think this now, you know, it's like, great. And it wasn't just a rethinking of concepts. It was a rewiring of my actual consciousness. And one of the reasons why I say that was when I was going home and, and my parents came to pick me up. That's mm. a whole different story. Here's a cold <laughs> morning. <laughs> When I was in the back of the car, my parents were in the front and of course, Squirrel's still with me in the back. And I remember thinking to myself, it's not that I'm having different thoughts about life. Although I was, mm. I said, it's not that I'm having different thoughts about life. It's the very I that is having those thoughts has been transformed. A better person, would you say? It's a different person. It's a different, different, person. different sense of self. You know, it wasn't just... 
you can have new beliefs and be the same person, but it's like, no, the very I that is doing the thinking, that is doing the emotions, that is doing the believing, that sense of I, whatever that is, has been completely transformed. And so that experience, like and that, mo- that moment, I would tell people like without, that was, you know, that experience was the warmth of a mother, the embrace of a father, the friendship of a, of a sibling. It was always- Warm, the, fuzzy the, feelings. It was, it was all those things of like, oh, everything I've hustled and worked for up until this point was just offered to me freely at the lowest moment in my life. And, and this is everything. This somehow changes everything. And I gave my life to keep pursuing that. Interesting. So thank you for telling me that story. Uh, <laughs> also available in book form. Um, yes, sir. So you had this experience. Oh, I apologize. I accidentally started my other computer here. Ah. Yo, I have so, another pod. I have another podcast interview going on here. I, <laughs> <laughs> I was editing the show earlier on this side. Um, so uh, this warm, fuzzy feeling you got, you were on drugs. You were, you, you were back with the person that you love. Mm-hmm. So all of those things combined right there is going to give you some warm, fuzzy feelings. You're laying there. You're next to this person you've reunited with. That just apologies. This is just what I'm seeing out of this right now. No, absolutely. Yeah. Of course. And, 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 and all of that experience gave you that warm, fuzzy feeling. I'm home. I, I get the same feeling when, when I'm with my wife, too. It's that, that mm. warm, fuzzy. This is where I belong. She's the person that I, I love the most, most important person in my life, blah, 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 blah. That's the same thing that I f- thinking is going on with you. You never mm. actually... The, the problem I see is you never actually encountered God. You just had a feeling and you attributed mm. that feeling while you were on drugs to God. Mm. Mm. Now, have you actually physically seen or interacted with this, this, this God, this, this Yahweh? Well, so the last question, have I like physically interacted in, yeah. in some like quantifiable, empirically verifiable sense? Of course not. You know, that's to me mm. where, why these of course different. not well because to me these are like spirit love you know compassion empathy these are emotions. not quantifiable in the same say it again emotions emotions yeah yeah physical feelings yeah, they're, and they're, stuff like that but god's not an emotion he's an actual physical being correct a physical being no i think to me god is primarily like the deepest dimension of life itself god is spirit you know i mean if for somebody who's a christian would say god came in the form of you know christ in an incarnated way at a particular moment in history but you know those are those are good those the, the questions like even when that happened to me right so how do I make the leap from that experience to one attributing it to God and mm-hmm. also eventually to being a Christian? Cause that's a whole nother leap conceptually, right. right? Not just a God, your specific God. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I, and I do remember at a, you know, right after that happened when I was still in high school, being thinking to myself, if I had this same sort of existential journey of questioning, seeing through my illusions, just seeing through everything I'm doing is bullshit. It doesn't all, all I want is approval. Cause I think uh-huh. that's validation. It's not all that stuff, right? You could have that in any context. Yeah. And I said, well, if I did that in a, in a, let's say I'm in Jordan and my, my friend who, well, you know, his family's from there. I'm thinking who I grew up with, but if I was in a different context where let's say, you know, Islam is the, predominant religion culture ethical etc kind of like worldview 
would I not then, if I had the same encounter with spirit, would I not then attribute it and just say, well, it must have been Allah and this is the story. And, I, and at that point, I'm Buddha, like, maybe Allah, I don't yeah. know what to say about that, you know? But when it came to the experience, like to me, God, spirit is not only a religious experience, it is that which transforms your experience itself. So it is an experience, but it's also that which transforms everything else. It transforms how you experience experiences itself. Do you so, think love can do that too? Absolutely. But to me, love is the substance of God. So for me, even like from for my girlfriend at the time and, and, and then direct immediate, the same love that flows through my girlfriend towards me or my wife now is the same love that that is the love of God. It's just mediated through a, a, a incarnational sort of you know bodily way but it's the same substance from my perspective so well hold on hold the, on let, the, let me let me clarify that a little bit so is it god sending the love through your girlfriend or is it the same love your girlfriend has is similar to the same love or wife the same love that, that yahweh has so to me the, the substance of love is is universal it's the same thing it can come in more uh, when you have a direct encounter with God, which I believe is possible. And actually, that's the defining mark of a mystic. If someone asks what a mystic is, a mystic is defined by direct experience of the sacred, direct, unmediated experience of spirit. And that oftentimes defies the cultural expectations or conventions of religions. Hmm. Well, the same, uh, I've, I thought about it like this, and I had this profound experience at 24 in front of my fire, you know, just in a time of silence, where if I think about spirit, love, God, grace, universal acceptance, a universal affirmation of your life, for me, those are all the same thing. As think about it like a mist that's flowing towards all of us at any moment, right? It's, it's just the, the infinite love of God is pouring itself out to all people at all times in the exact same way, regardless of tradition, sexuality, it doesn't matter. It's all there. Interesting. Well, regardless of all that. Absolutely. Okay. And so to me, the whole spiritual journey is about waking up towards that which is it's about learning to see it's about learning to experience it's about removing everything in our lives that's getting in the way of us being present to aware of and experiencing god love grace okay that's great but usually for people we that's such a challenging thing to to do to tune into that frequencies so often hmm. so that's the beauty of the incarnation in Christ. It's not just God saying, oh, well, love God is fully present in this person of Jesus. That is an indicator that love God is fully present through earth, flesh and blood, relationships, people, experiences, the trees, all these things are all incarnating and fully expressing the presence and love of God at any moment. So How do you know that? And why do you believe that? <laughs> I mean, well, you're, one, you're, I don't. I mean, everything, all this love and everything is coming from your God specifically. Why do you believe that? Well, to me, God is one. So it's coming from if there is a source, if there is some sort of creator of all of this, that is, you know, that is that the deepest structure is love, and that's for everybody, right? It's not it, to me. It's not my God. It's just God, and that's for right. everybody, regardless right. of tradition. Well, I mean, there's thousands of gods out there, what we can choose from. But yes, you, you're a specific God. So why do you believe He's love, though? Like that's the I think that's the confusing part for me here. Um. Well, when you said how do you know, I'll answer that question. I'll tell right. you a funny story. In my intro to the book, I told the story of you know I'm, I'm in my early twenties. I'm walking around. I lived in Orange County at the time and 
I'm walking around, you know, contemplative walk, silence, solitude, no specific aim, just to be present to life, to God, to myself. And in that moment, I had this funny interaction. I can't remember if I just thought it or said it out loud, but the interaction went, it's one of those moments where you just know. And another voice says, know what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then the first voice says, I don't know, but you just, but you just do. Oh, okay. And that's why if, if someone were to say, do you know, do you know God? Do you know spirit? I would say yes. And then uh -huh. someone would say, how, do you, how like, do you know? Do you know for sure? And I would say no. How do you know? I would say no, because one of those is a relational, deep, mysterious, connective kind of knowing. The other one is a is a is a cognitive, you know, uh, based on certainty. Do I know with certainty that Jesus is this? No, of course not. Do yeah. I know with certainty in a cognitive way that God is love? Of course not. So when you ask, like, so one, I have that built into all of this. Uh -huh. Is that mystery in the hum what people call an epistemic humility? epistemology how do we know it's a humility that says i know this i sense this i'm trusting this i'm i'm falling into this but do i know with certainty does anyone have privileged access to the secret of what is no i don't believe that you know hmm. but how do i when you ask the question like why do i believe or how do i know it's love i'm like that's a part of the mystery of how you, how someone would ask you how you love your wife. I'm like, different. There is some, there's something that happens in that space of openness to love and to give and receive love that well, is, is not, is not irrational. It's transrational to me. It transcends the rational mind and it requires more than that. You know, Actions. I, I know my wife loves me by her actions. Same mm -hmm. as me. She knows I love her by my actions if i was a complete mm. dick the entire time she wouldn't think i'd love her i mean that's just mm. obvious so mm. when i see things from yahweh jesus or, or, or your god specifically i don't see the loving part i've read mm. the bible i mm. I, see, I i've read his autobiography about himself and his stories and, and his actions throughout history if mm. that's true then the god you're advocating for is a a documented child killer and at that point, I don't see that that as love. I mean, we can both, you, you, you think that the, the flood happened, right? I mean, that every baby on the planet drowned to death because he was, he was upset because he made people. He regret making people. That's what it says in the book there. So, I mean, the loving part, I just, I struggle to mm. see it. I hear it a lot, but I, I fail mm. to see where that idea and that concept comes from. Besides the whole verse in John that says God is love. But when you read his actions, it just doesn't add up. It's like I tell my kids, you know, make your make your actions match your words. If you're mm. saying you're loving, let's see those loving actions. Mm. You know, yeah. that's where I'm at. So wh yeah, where no, does that, that concept come for you? Yeah, one that's a great point, and what's 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 fascinating and it's and tragic as well is those same arguments or the same evidence you would use in the scriptures to to make that claim. You can look around us today at people who bear the name of Jesus and still make that claim. You know what I'm saying? Like you look around at Christians today, you can look at the church in our culture in the United States of America and still be like, I still don't see the love. It's been, it's been <laughs> thousands of years. Right. And, and I'm with you on that. And I have my own critiques and I have my own, 
issues and struggles with that, you know, and I and, and like I said, that prophetic voice, I have my own version of calling that out and hopefully calling something more beautiful mm. to the question. The scriptures are this long story of, you know, 66 different books that were written over thousands of years. Right. Mm. And, you know, if, if I tell my, my kids are three and five, if I'm reading them a story of Noah or these early stories, it's like, Hey, this story happened. Mm. As we get older and we develop more critical lenses and get educated, like, well, actually, there's different genres of literature. This is poetry. This is how they told stories back then. It wasn't Genesis one is not a science book, right? Hmm. You know, like, yeah, no. <laughs> now, now so, a, some scholars would say Genesis one through eleven is what you call prehistory, hmm. right? So it's it's not. Do I read that that story as literal a flood on the planet? No, you know. Do I think Jonah? was literally inside the belly of a fish or we read it as whale, even though it says large fish, mm. probably not. You can believe <laughs> yeah. that story if you want to. Like if I, when I preach that in the church, I'm like, some people believe that some don't. The point of the story is that God's actually calling Jonah to show love and compassion or to preach towards his enemies. The mm. real point of the story is, can you love people you've been conditioned to hate? And sometimes we can argue about the details of a story and, and avoid the thing that things, the actions you're describing, the loving actions that it's actually calling us to. So what I huh. see in the scriptures are massive stages and steps forward in human consciousness. So when I look at a thousand years ago, I'm like, the scriptures reflect the violent, barbaric hunter-gatherer thing at the time. And to me, there's a beauty hmm. in seeing the life of the spirit in the world as this gravitational pull from, from the future pulling us forward in history and that thing ultimately climaxes crescendos in the person of jesus that to me is where all of that moves towards in the love is of course there was violence because that's how the culture worked back then of course there was that so god does not completely try to transform everything at once he's calling humanity forward one single step at a time so even books so like books like leviticus where you're like this is insane like, what the what is happening this is but it's quite a few of those books a, but yeah if you look at yeah if you look at some of the rituals they're giving people it's like hey well if you go through this ritual process you can be seen as clean by the community be welcome back yeah. that at that moment in history was a radical progressive step forward for them oh you mean i can do these rituals and have confidence i'm right with god and the people some people had never heard of that so that to us is insanity Absolutely. but to them that was seen as a radical step forward that was a huge moment of progress so the scriptures to me are showing steps forward well, in human consciousness yeah. honestly i, th I think it, the sacrificial system that yahweh required the bloodshed of innocent life in order to forgive people or yeah, forgive people for what they've done to uh, piss him off. I think it's ridiculous. I think a, re a radical, Absolutely. I think a radical thing would have been, hey, you don't have to kill anything to me. I'm different from these other gods. You don't need to mm. slaughter innocent life. I can forgive mm. you in another way. But but mm. that's not what we see. We see God still requiring bloodshed throughout the whole Bible. He requires bloodshed, and even in the end, he requires the bloodshed of his own son himself slash himself in order to forgive people. So again, yes, we still have death. And, depending and, on how on how we read that story. Oh no. You know? <laughs> what do you um, mean? <laughs> because you know, all of those those rituals, like 
if you look at those the the whole you know sacrificial system right in the old testament that's one example of a lot of things we can look at violence it's like there's commands of people don't want to admit this but there's commands the scriptures record that apparently come directly from god to slaughter entire villages which would include women and children absolutely it says specifically kill kids in there and god himself in several stories actually comes down and physically kills children so and so my my the way i read that and the way i think about the bible is well did god actually command people to do that or does that command from god reflect the current cultural historical understanding that people had of god at the moment well of course god's of course it's like people you know today it's like it's like even with like a lot of christians like well god told me to do this yeah i'm like okay or is that your own egoic impulses? Is that your own, et cetera, what your desire? And now, right. of course, there's a convenient screen to project it on. Well, God wanted me to break up with you so right. I don't have to feel like a right. dick or whatever. Right. You know? <laughs> and but what I about think, Abraham and, it, and Isaac? Do you think that story happened? Well, to me, that that would be, I, I feel like those Leviticus stories of what seems regressive to us actually could have been massive steps forward for human beings at that time. I think, and I think when you're better. in it, <laughs> and I, mean, I don't, don't, keep there's slaves, all kind of, don't rape women. I mean, these are very easy things. Don't stone disobedient children to death. Don't kill innocent lives. I mean, these are very easy things that would have been very radical at the time, but Yahweh chose don't worship any other gods before me or I'll kill you or your kids. You know, these are the things he chose instead of don't rape, don't have slaves, me, you know, all those even, simple things would have made even it a lot better. Sto- even stories like Abraham, for example, you could read as other gods, but all, all these gods around you that you're familiar oh. with do require deaths of children. And this story is a way of saying that I'm not like that. Because for why me, wouldn't he just say that instead of having Abraham slaughter his kid almost almost? You well, know? to me, those are those are abstract qu- questions. Those are hypothetical abstract questions that I don't really ask, to be honest. Even now, for people, uh, those stories are so similar to ours. Where let's say you come, people come to a critical moment in their life, and they're like, "Man, why won't for people who believe in God, why won't God just tell me what to do?" just tell me hey go to ucla instead of usc because kids are stressed out over where they're going <laughs> some to people think he does you know and so and some people think that but instead i'm i think the way god's spirit love works is an invitation it's a calling into wisdom i think you can have a direct personal experience but the same audio why doesn't god just do this like back mm. then it's it's a story of human beings slowly responding so for me because I read that so differently, if not like God saying this, God doing that. It's people Hmm. growing. It's people responding to the invitations and then recording their understanding of it based on how they see at the moment. So I'll look like even pastorally, the growth of one person right now in their life looks very different from the, the next step of growth for another person because their historical background, they have different trauma, they have different experiences or different ages. So I remember years ago, there was this friend of my wife's and mine and, you know, however she looked to us as a pastor and a guy, we didn't even start the church yet. And I remember her telling us once, like I was at the beach and this girl was like talking shit basically. And I didn't punch her. And to me, I'm like, that's a sign of growth. 
yeah. Now, now for her and her, that is a real step of growth for her and her life. Now, 10 years later, hopefully the, the strong urge to punch somebody on the beach, you have an issue with, hopefully that urge will be minimized to the point where we're not celebrating the growth. Now you didn't punch somebody. Maybe you showed them compassion. Maybe you actually helped them. Maybe you somehow became friends with them, but that's 10 years later on the stage of that, on the journey of evolution. So to me, we celebrate that mark 10 years here, 10 years later, it looks like a different thing. I see that same movement hmm. in the scriptures as a whole of the old Testament Hey, it's cool. You said don't rape people after you pillage them. That's better. I think. Why didn't you just stop it all at once? I'm like, cause that's one to me. That's not how human beings actually evolve and grow. It's one step at a time. And to me, I don't see as a direct Supreme being telling people to do that. It's people growing and then reflecting on their understanding Here. of that along the way. So I think it would have been better if he sent everybody that happy feeling that you got and they changed their lives. And then the whole thing of, hey, stop raping, stop owning slaves, don't stone disobedient children to death. I mean, I think that would have been great, don't you think? Instead of flooding Absolutely. the whole earth, stuff like that. I, I think that would have been great. And also to this day right now, I look at a lot of people and what, what, I've, what I've been through in my life, what other people have been through, the pain, the suffering in a personal sense and in interpersonal relationships in our, in, in, in nat geopolitical national conflicts and all the things we see. Hmm. And I wish it didn't have to be that hard for people. I wish people didn't have to suffer as much as they did. I wish hmm. domestic abuse wasn't as prevalent as it is. I wish families didn't have to have their whole families turned upside down because of addiction. I wish hmm. the wars, I wish all these things didn't have to happen. And for me, the abstract questions of like, why I, I don't, I just don't think about, I'm like, I'm not an idealist in the same way I can see the spirit working through these old Testament texts, or when you can look at Buddhists from the past where it's like, here's these enlightened people who are extremely ethnocentric and racist because they're a mm. product of their time, you know, or in any culture, I'm like, I'm okay with human beings slowly evolving and growing, even though I know it sucks, even though I would love if my friends didn't have to suffer the way they did and I didn't have to suffer the way I did sometimes, I would love it if it was more simple, but it's not, but this is the world we have and I love it and I embrace it and I commit to, I commit my own humble version of that slow growth in my life and the people around me where I am. Slow growth. Well, did you, do you think you went through a slow growth? Absolutely. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you can look at the journey of the scriptures and the Bible as a metaphor for what every human being goes through in our own evolution. So, so when you had, sorry, but when you had your psychedelic moment with the drug thing, when you had that, that moment of feeling that was a fast moment, it all happened at once, right? It wasn't that a slow was, thing. That was one of those, you will have moments in your life, even if people know about developmental theories and stages of consciousness, you know, there's a there's an entering into a new stage of being solidified in it and an exiting and then a breaking through to another one and you will like it's like when an artist like really pops like a musician it's like holy sh they're an overnight success i'm like no they've been doing tours for seven years you never cared about also they've true. been they did a show for 15 people that if you saw would have been embarrassing they were in their room writing etc right and all of a sudden it's like it tipped overnight i'm like not for them not for them yeah mm -hmm. and and i think that moment for me for example was 
why was that moment when I look back so transformative in an immediate sense? And I can look at that and say, I already started to let go of the illusions that were driving me. That creates space within me. I already started to deal with some of the interior wounds and issues I had that creates space and a fertile ground within you. So I had done a lot of things that created this openness to be able to receive that, right? That's why, that's why the great Rumi says, your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. What about so the people that doesn't work for though? Like, like, what about the people that don't have that openness? They go through their whole life and Yahweh never opens them up to this experience. Well, that, that, see, even, even that statement right there, Yahweh never opens them up. God's job is not to open your heart. That's our job. Interesting. So what happens if we open our heart and God doesn't show? I, that's a, that's a complex question that I think is very moment to moment. I would talk to people in their life because from my understanding and what I've seen, the way love, grace, acceptance works, whether you call it God or not, you don't have to name it as God, right? But when somebody is, for example, whenever someone truly forgives, it create, I believe it creates more spaciousness in your life. You know, it takes okay. a burden off you, it takes a weight off of you. To me, that is how things work. Do I know with certainty about that? Like I know about God, of course not, but that's what I sense. That's what I've experienced. That's what I've seen. That's what the wisdom traditions historically have showed us. Well, and a little so, bit opposite though has actually happened to me. I grew up in the church. Hmm. I was, I considered myself Jesus freak. All, you know, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I never met the guy. I didn't, never had an experience with the guy. I had a little happy, warm, fuzzy feelings. Like you, 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 uh, like going to a concert or something. Exactly. Like watching the end of a, your favorite movie, you know, it's like, yeah. you're just there. <laughs> it's like everything in you is just electric and it's awesome. But that doesn't mean that it's an invisible man somewhere sending you these totally. things. And I, and I go to the Bible. The Bible tells me in second Chronicles 14, nine, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if mm. you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now, I, mm one of my least favorite verses here this is just it's just so horrible towards people who have been trying and trying and trying and god isn't presenting himself to you and then we get blamed for it we get forsaken mm. because we can't mm. see that evidence we don't feel him see him mm. you know what i mean yeah so I, I think that's kind of blaming the victim here at this point mm. yahweh says if i seek him i'll be found by him i will find him it did not happen my heart mm. was poured out my knees were bowed or my head was bowed my knees were you know you know what i mean and, and nothing, mm. nothing. Bible tells mm. me I should have been able to find him. Years, mm. Mm. years, never showed up. But now, now what I do is I forsake this character called Yahweh because in the mm. Bible, he's a horrible, horrible monster. Mm. Jealous, punishing children. Um, now he's going to forsake me. Mm. All because he never showed up for me. Mm. So that, that openness doesn't work for everybody. Why do you think that is? And do I deserve the hellfire that mm. comes from non-belief? Mm. Do I deserve hellfire because of non-belief? Of course not. Well, that's what the Bible the, tells us, though. Does, is that not true? <clears throat> well, again, you know, it's like in the Second Chronicles, when we're looking back thousands of years at people's understanding of God at that point. Interesting. So, so to me... It, so this isn't true. Sorry, I just want to jump to this right here. So, no, so that Bible verse isn't relevant, is what you're saying. I'm not saying it's not relevant. I'm saying it's very relevant. And at the same time, it's 
reflective of the way people understood their standing with God at the time. People also thought there was like a three tier. I mean, you could, the apostle Paul, this profound, right? Early revolutionary in the church. He believed in a three tier understanding of the universe, earth, heaven, hell below. They didn't know we were on a planet, you know, rotating around. (laughs) So in the same way, they're, you know, uh, under their astronomical understanding of the universe and their social understanding of things and the value of women at the time and having Mm -hmm. slaves, like also their understanding of God was reflective of being where at the stage of where they were a long time ago. So a verse like that is relevant, but it also reflects their current understanding of God. Oh, if I forsake God, daddy, sky, God, daddy, you know, (laughs) Triton, whoever up in the sky, this version we have, is mad at me and will forever close himself off to me. I think that that's an understanding of God people have at early stages of their faith. God's so, mad at me when I do something bad. Yeah. Does that necessarily mean if there is some sort of source of all of this creative source, spirit God, does that mean then that that is how God works actually in reality that if I forsake him, whatever that means, he's mad at me forever? No. To me, that means at that point, that's how they understood things. And I think human beings have evolved enough to see things differently than that. So the the openness part, that's a big thing, you know, because openness, I've known when you preach, preaching is a humbling thing and it can be a very humiliating thing to the ego because you're like, I just gave you the juice and that person was sleeping (laughs) i just told you how your life could be revolutionized and that person's checked out that's a mystery of human consciousness is why do some people wake up transform and change why do people i love be stuck in addiction forever you know why do i have friends who are in and out of jail for example and there's a unique thing about openness and relationality and connection and why some people wake up and I still believe I openness is one of those things, again, that you can't quantify in an empirical sense. It's sometimes people could say, well, I'm just as open and they're in church and they're grunting and they're God, Jesus, and they're crying and all that. But then when you speak to them, they're still not ready to go there with the truth of their life. They still don't want to be honest about the wounds in their past that have the trauma, which I understand there's no judgment there it's hard to to go back and do that real work so they're open but i could go to other parts of them and say but are you really open for this to me yeah no i totally was open i was totally open i poured everything out to this guy 100 no i mean if this was either i did this i connected with god or what i was taught was i was going to burn forever in hell my skin Mm. was going to burn off the next day it'd grow back just so the devil can burn it off again This is what I was told. So yes, everything in me was trying to connect with this savior of mine. Mm. But what I really want to question though, you're telling me that a lot of the Bible stuff is um, people trying to understand God 2000 years ago. Mm -hmm. So which part of this people trying to understand God that they got it wrong, this isn't accurate. I mean, if we seek him, he's not going to forsake us, right? You don't believe that. So the same thing with the flood. So which parts of this can we trust and why Mm. well for me with that you you trust the whole thing but not in a literal not in a literal sense of oh it says this we do this that one said don't 
ride donkeys after noon. Okay, so we don't do like those types well, of things. it says to pray and you pray. It says to believe and you believe. So you do believe and follow some of it. Oh, Why absolutely. Why do you believe no, and I follow gave, gave... some of it, but not all of it? How and, I and see how that. And how do you know? Sorry. And how do you know story... cipher between the two? Yeah, that, I mean, that the hermeneutics for people listening in, it's not there an it exciting word, hermeneutics, interpretation. Oh, it's very exciting. I it, love hermeneutics. It's the science and art of, you know, interpreting. We can talk about interpreting the Bible. We can talk about interpreting sacred texts. We can talk about, you know, Paul Ricoeur and people like that. It, it, hermeneutics is actually just interp- life itself is a text. Everything's interpretation, right? You hmm. can never escape that. We're all interpreting. There's no... There's no uninterpreted experiences or phenomena in life. You know, there's a, there's a humility to that because who the hell knows on one level, right? Who there's knows? No one has, that's why I choose no one not has to per- just go for the things I don't know. That That's another thing too, is I, I, I choose not to believe in things I don't fully understand. Mm, and no one has privileged access to the secret as John Caputo, a radical philosopher said before. Mm. And for me, I see an arc to that story that crescendos and leads to this person of Jesus. So you like so the idea of Jesus? Absolutely. I've so given my how do you know the Jesus past. stories are accurate? If it's not just some some people 2,000 years ago lifting up their guru. They had this guru. He died. All of a sudden after he's dead, well, guess what? He performed miracles. Also, he's mm. the savior of the universe. He had to mm. die because God needed blood in order to forgive people. And if he didn't mm. die, we'd all be going blah, 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 blah. That's how I see it. It doesn't yeah. make much sense to really take it any other way. We have nothing to go off of. And you're telling me that mo- the majority of this book is just the idea of people coming up with ideas of God, what they thought it was. But that, but, but even, even coming up with those ideas doesn't mean there's no such thing as God as your spirit. It just means, like we said, hermeneutics, everything's interpretation, right? Even the New well, Testament, people are interpreting and, and reflecting on their experiences and writing about it years later or whatever. And so for me... The path of Jesus is, if, if I see it not as primarily as a belief system, oh, I believe all these orthodox things about Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's the son of God. He's this or that. These are the metaphysical beliefs you're supposed to have as a Christian. But if my primary orientation is a path, then I say, man, compassion does lead to the fullness of life. Oh, forgiving your enemies and not living with resentment, that does lead to a further experience of life. Uh, well, those are just a few things to... that Jesus has said. Yes, Jesus said nice things, just like the Buddha, which is where he got a lot of his stuff from, was from the, the Buddhists or the, the Hindus. Um, so when we look at the story of Jesus, do you believe every story about Jesus in the Bible or is it just some of them? Because there's a lot in here. Jesus tells us that he's, he does not come to bring peace in Matthew 10. Mm. Uh, he comes to bring a sword and division to separate families. He says, if you can't hate, if you don't hate your brother and mother and father, and then you can't follow him. You have to hate yeah. people. And then yeah. there's the time that Jesus got angry or hung, hangry. Sorry. He didn't have breakfast. So he curses a fig tree who's out of fruit, which he knew ahead of time that it was already because he knows everything. And then he curses it instead of making it grow and feeding the whole village. He curses it. So it dies. Yeah. I don't see all of those things as good. So yeah. do you take those stories out of it and just keep the the love your neighbor stuff or or how does that work for you is it the whole jesus or just some of the jesus for me it's the i i take the whole flesh and blood earthy real jesus gotcha that is there and the path that he invites us into and even within those three examples and stories when we speak when we talk about hermeneutics there's so many assumptions 
mm-hmm. about that 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 you have when you say, well, God does this, or Jesus said this, and this is how right. that story worked, you know, and that's, that's the art of interpretation is doing that. So there's complex things about each one of those stories, the whole like causing division in families. Okay. Well, is that, is that a Jesus saying, I want there to be division, or is that somehow a way to get at the fact that when you transcend family systems, when you grow and evolve, it's going to create division in your family. It's going to create division amongst friends. Well, you know, that's that, that's a, the whole thing of but, Christianity. But no, but, so we can all join families and whatnot in heaven. Why would again, go with that? De- dealing with the reality, it shouldn't, Hey, in an ideal world, you're right. In an ideal world, your growth should not offend people, but it does. Because if you wow. grew up in a if you grew up in an unhealthy family system, for example, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Let's say you grew up in an unhealthy family system that has very toxic forms of communication, very withholding or dominating. Or people grow up in different versions, and your family's ethnocentric. Let's say they're white supremacist. Let's say they're racist. Let's say they're anti-immigration. Let's say they're anti all these things, and you start to grow, and you say, "Hey, I actually believe we live in a world." where everybody has equal value and that starts to be reflected in my politics and you start to, and you change the way you see things socially and you're learning to love people, Mm. your family's condition you to hate that will cause division in your family. Not because you want it, not because you want it because your, your growth will offend people. You're saying, guys, it gets bigger than this. It gets more beautiful. Humanity is more interesting. It all gets better than this. Come along. And they're like, our son has gone off of the path. Our son has betrayed us. Your growth will offend people who want to stay in that same framework. So when I hear, that's just one example. When I hear no, a story yeah. like that, I'm like, that's how things work. That's it one way that, that it's like that. Interpret the hermeneutics of it, of course. But totally. when, you, when you dive down into these, these other specific, Jesus wants his disciples to hate their family. If Let's Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Why would, why would Jesus, specifically Jesus, the, you know, the, the happiest little guru on the planet, why would, he, why would he want you to hate anybody, first off? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And let alone your own family, your wife, your kids. Why would Jesus want you to hate your wife and kids? See, again, that it would be stories like that that would reflect the reality of changing growth and how that affects relationships. I don't read that and say, oh, that as people are writing this down, right, 30, 40, 50 years later, recording these things that Mm. to me, I don't take as they necessarily have to be 100% accurate in the way we as Westerner post enlightenment understand history and science and that these are storytellers, they make a point, you know, like my wife's (laughs) the best story, one of the best storytellers on the planet. And every Mm. time my wife tells a story, the details are different. (laughs) <laughs> but but the engine of it she wants to tell people this meal we had was amazing mm-hmm. that's the point she's getting at so for me when i look at ancient storytelling it's there is this engine that's driving it uh-huh. and i guess the way i read things i don't sometimes i'm like if there is a loving source it would make no sense for that same loving source who said forgive your enemy to also say hate your wife that doesn't make any sense to me. So right. I'm like, okay, so, so there, 
there's this, I, you know, there's exegesis reading from the text, eisegesis, we read into the text, right, for people who care about that type of stuff. <laughs> and so eventually, you, as a part of the hermeneutic of love, a hermeneutic of justice and compassion, as we read into it, is to say, I'm seeing unconditional love and forward thinking movement in everything I do. So when I see it, I say, oh, there's something real here. But the way people have written it, the way it's been recorded, the details of it could throw us off. What Jesus wants? Jesus wants to cause division. No, that shows us what happens. Oh, mm. hate. No, it means there is this source that is before. Uh, this isn't just an example. There's a source things that gives life to all things. And our life in a sacred cosmos is oriented correctly when that is the foundation of everything. And then everything, there's ways to read that for me that are helpful and loving and that create the loving actions, like you said earlier in this world. What is extrapolating a Christ-like, loving, compassion-oriented, justice-seeking way of being in the world? And for me, the details, and I've done I have the degrees, I've done those things, <laughs> I get it. But where I'm at now, and even when you talk about the life of a mystic, I'm like, how is this text leading us to transformation? How is it helping me love my child? How is it helping me be more present to my kids? How is it helping me? Like, what is it doing in the world? That's what I'm more interested in. I, I, so what I see, now, again, I mean, no offense at all, but what I see is you've taken the God and, and the demigod that have been described in this book, and you've separated them from the stories that are in there about them. No, God didn't do this. No, God didn't. No, Jesus doesn't want you to hate people. He, you have to change it to be not this, what this I particular, said. Not what I said. Not this what particular I said. God that you have, this particular God. Sorry if I'm strawmanning, but uh, the particular God that you have created that is love. Your God is love no matter what is in that book. Your God is love. No matter what this tells you, you have this idea of a loving God. So no matter what's in there, Jesus telling you to hate Jesus in Mark 16, telling you, go ahead and drink poison. It's going to be great. Or Yahweh in the Old Testament telling you to, to stone uh, homosexuals to death. All those things don't attribute to your God. So that for, therefore, all that stuff you just push aside and you read the happy Jesus parts. That's what I'm Definitely, doing. definitely not what I said. Because what's fascinating is, my experience of having that initial encounter, like I said, you know, when I was 18 mm -hmm. and years later, or whenever, or, or soon after starting to identify that, which I experienced with the person of Jesus, those stories, those experiences, those things that have been recorded about Jesus have given me more confidence that yes, in fact, God is love because you're mentioning a few, a few, you know, of course the Bible is weird. You're mentioning a few strange things and yes, let's do some interpretation. Let's do some stuff around all those things, but it's a lot from beginning but, to end, man, I'm just tidbits here, but go ahead. No, no, no. Yeah. The old Testament, like I said, you're seeing human beings growing, reflecting on that. It's all strange. It all looks weird. Just like yeah. when I tell you a girl who's 20 years old is celebrating the fact she didn't punch somebody in the face. <laughs> that sounds like, how could that be growth? That is growth for her it though. Cause we're looking people. at it's yeah. a historical trajectory. <laughs> but when, when it crescendos, when Jesus has these statements, like you've heard it said, but I said, that is a massive, just like when you look at my own experience at 18, where that wasn't slow growth, that was a radical sort of revolutionizing moment. And I think Christ in Jesus was this breaking radical revolutionizing moment. And why would one of the greatest peace activists that we know of the past 100, 150 years, Gandhi, as a Hindu 
wake up and for 10 years straight read the Sermon on the Mount every morning, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, because he said it was the greatest teaching on peace that he, and nonviolence he's ever seen. So it's such a sliver, though. That is such a sliver of the, of the things that are in this book. And perhaps that's where, and again, in our interpretation, and I, I'm seeing with continuity, I'm also seeing a, a, also a transform, a radical transformation from the Old Testament to the New because the person of Jesus creates this radical like breakthrough moment. So that is probably where you and I see things differently is mm. I see this arc, this, this unfolding, growing, evolving arc towards how do you go from, hey, don't don't kill as many people or something like just tell them just tell them the whole thing in the old testament right just why don't you say more than that yeah to me you go from this like hey after you kill all them don't do these couple things or protect the women or take the women after you've taken a village take the women as your wives instead of killing them which to us is insane yeah could you imagine being a woman this man just slaughtered your whole family now you're going to be forced to marry him and his god reflective okay of the barbarism and violence of the time which is not just true for the bible is true globally and, or in different cultures of how violence worked and how patriarchy etc but to me you go from that into this evolving changing into how does one of the greatest peace activists who's not a christian look at these teachings of jesus as the most radical teachings of nonviolence ever so i see an evolving movement so it's like well, of course it was crazy back then, but where it moves to, for me, I have not seen in terms of where it's going. Where is it going? Even a, even a vision that eventually leads to justice, peace, you know, new heavens, new earth. The whole thing is moving towards unity and oneness and that, that Jesus is pointing us to. So whereas you see the majority of it is negative, I see an evolving trajectory towards the most radical beautiful hopeful vision of love justice and peace that i've seen which is one of the reasons why i'm still a christian so, so where is it where is we, it going kevin though where is it going where's all this love from this this little sliver part of the bible where is it headed like what's the <laughs> what's the end result because what i see in revelation is pretty violent jesus is gonna like destroy a lot of people he's gonna set them all on fire he's of, gonna all yeah. interpretations so what's gonna happen there are other, besides the whole 1970s, Hal Lindsey, the late great planet Earth, you know, revelation, literal. Decent have you ever night. seen the Seth Rogen movie? Like, this is the end? No, no, no. Oh, seen yeah, that? yeah, yeah. Oh, oh you got movie. Oh, I yeah, it's movie. about the rapture. It's hilarious. It's, 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 so, it's so, it's one of my favorite, like, <laughs> Seth Rogen movies. It is really But hilarious. that goes to show how popular, you know, that understanding of rapture is. It's in the pop cultural consciousness enough where they made a movie about it. And it's hilarious. Yeah, so... What do you think is going to happen? How is it going to Well, for me, all of that is a, a complete misreading of Revelation. So first of all, all the, I don't believe in the rapture, and a lot of Christians don't, by the way. The rapture is a very new phenomenon that is not a historical belief in Christianity. That's a very post in not that that's a very early 20th century a guy from scotland came here and started preaching and fundamentalist evangelicals were like yes this is everything when i think it's ridiculous and dangerous and toxic etc revelation going towards 21 this vision of a new heaven and a new earth revelation 21 1 through 5 when, which to me revelation is it's called the genre is apocalypse so it's like yeah. poetry and it's imagery it's all this crazy shit but what you see is this image in Revelation 21, where there are no more tears, where there's justice, where this whole, where there's a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. There's so no for night. me, there's no more night and we all have to worship Yahweh forever. 
not my idea there of a peaceful, is awesome this place. Beautiful, poetic movement of what these people East. thought thought heaven would be like to them. Streets of gold would be awesome. They thought that was yeah, well, great. That's all, no more that's nights. All oh, it's sun all the time. Totally right. That's the whole thing Im- is a metaphor. I don't see it as as being actual first possible when the stars but fall that's to the, the earth. Pow- I think the that's power. The power of poetry and imagination is to give is to give us symbols and ways of thinking about the possibility of what could be. So when I read that, when I read that the way it is in, in Revelation 21, one through five, where it's crescendoing towards that, towards the tree of life, to me, what do I come away from that? And I say, somehow everything's going to be okay. Frederick Buechner says the resurrection means the worst thing is never the last thing. And so that is a part of that, this, that story for me, when I look at the cosmic arc if there is a cosmic trajectory if there actually is a flow to this universe if there is a telos point that it's moving towards do i know exactly how that works out of course not nobody knows Mm. you know no one knows what's on the other side but in this story that i find myself in this beautiful amazing story that you know for you is a small sliver for me is a trajectory i'm like oh this is this is showing us somehow in this mysterious way, it moves towards justice and unity and oneness. And I want to be a part of helping create the beginning stages of that possibility right now. Well, we are out of time here. We're about to roll into my next conversation. I do have to go. I would love to continue this conversation. I do want to talk more. You're, you're a lot of fun. I appreciate your time today, Kevin. Go ahead. I'll give you the last word. And then after that last word, tell us where we can find all your stuff. Yes, the last word. First of all, so much fun. I have another book coming out in January. I'm hitting you up again. Do it. Do it. That book is all about, that book is all about letting go. It's called the joy of letting go. Nice. Um, so one last word for you meant again, thank you so much for having me on. I didn't know exactly what I was getting in for. I knew it would be interesting and it was, and I enjoyed this time. It was so, it was a lot of fun. Same. And you know, for, for people listening in, here's my, here's my, unusual and uncommon pastoral last word for people. I have this deep sense that there's always more life ahead. Hmm. You know, that there can be more joy, regardless of whether you believe what I believe right now about Jesus, right? On one level, I don't even care because of the common humanity we share. Hmm. I believe there's always more, there can always be more joy, more life, more courage, more bravery, more connection. And I think through our own letting go forgiveness courage etc we can help be the agents that that create the openness towards that path and that's i have hope for everybody to continue to grow and evolve and experience more life that's what i want for people yeah and after that um podcast the church needs therapy my new book the making of a mystic my journey with mushrooms my life as a pastor and why it's okay for everyone to relax is out may 31st on choir publishing you can get on amazon so since people aren't here and uh i hopefully will be back again and for those who listen in thank you and yeah man so much fun dude thank you for the time thanks man yeah always strive to be a better human being we all share this planet together let's make it better love it man yes, thank sir. you so much for coming on yep. take care i'll talk to you later yeah man That's all the show there is for you today. Thanks for listening. 
If you like what you heard and want to help keep the recording light on, simply go to patreon.com forward slash BSW the podcast and sign up to be a supporter of the show. Your episodic tithes of a dollar or more will give you access to the patron feed, unaired conversations, early access to each episode, and much more. For the latest events, BSW swag, and a peek behind the scenes, head on over to the show's ever-evolving webpage at thebiblesayswhat.com. The Bible Says What the book is out. Head on over to thebiblesayswhat.com and get yourself and your grandma a signed copy. Thanks to the cosmic powers of the internet, it is now possible to buy me a beer or coffee online. Simply go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash BSW the podcast and click the appropriate buttons. If you can't support the show monetarily, please like, share, and or leave a review. As always, you can find me at the Bible Says What Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Instagram pages. You can also reach me at bswthepodcast at gmail.com. And no matter which platform you use to listen to your podcasts, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you won't miss out on the next episode. Until then, would you kindly pick up your Bibles and read them? Okay, so first Timothy 2 11. Let's not ignore that one. Let's look at it. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. How do you take that verse? I think you, I feel kind of baited and switched. You seem to be interested in my perspective and having your beliefs 100%. That's, that's the entire thing. I want to know your beliefs and why you believe. No, but you're telling me that I'm wrong and that my beliefs aren't good enough for you. I'm saying I don't understand yet. I haven't, you haven't said anything that makes any, that answers the question. That's where we're at. We have said things. They're just not good enough for you. Right. Because they don't make any sense. When you okay, you're them saying on, my perspective doesn't make sense. So why the heck did you invite me on here? So I can understand it. You're not interested in understanding. I am you I'm are asking you specifically. To what I am saying I'm, and then telling me why I'm wrong. Specifically asking you. And so I what do you like, think of this? That's I'm trying to understand. What do you think of this? What do I think? I have a whole series on those problematic verses that goes to what was it? First Timothy, which one? Did First you Timothy two eleven through fourteen. Yeah, let's discuss it then. If you, you got videos, you should. You know, be a- I I don't have videos. I have uh, theologian theologians come and they talk to me about this. Oh. and I'm not a theologian. Well, what are your thoughts I don't on pretend it? to know about anything. I'm trying to get to that verse, sir. Um, First Timothy two. There's there's several of those problematic verses, and so I would like. Is this the one about submission, or is this the one? Well, the one I just read. Yeah, it's a, a woman should learn in full quiet and learn quiet separation. First uh, Thessalonians one seven through nine. This will happen when Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know Yahweh. That's me. Um, and do not obey the gospel of Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. 
Now, when I hear everlasting destruction, I don't think of separation from Yahweh because right now I'm separated from Yahweh. I'm separated from Jesus. I'm separated from the Holy Ghost. None of them have anything to say with my life whatsoever. They don't lead me. They don't guide me. They don't live inside me. And I'm okay. It's not, it's not destruction. I don't feel torment. I don't feel like I'm burning. So what I see when I see these verses, uh, fiery furnace, weeping and gnashing of teeth, um, when I see these verses, I think of something a little bit different than the separation of God. Because as of right now, I'm separated from God. And it's not very hot. Well, actually, it's really hot. I live in Vegas. So yeah, yeah. Besides that's... that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's... Um... Like I would push back on that a little bit. I, I, again, I don't mean to offend. I don't mean any of this is insulting. I it's just very do. confusing I to do. me. I do think you mean to offend. doesn't make any sense. Okay. Well, that's weird. That's fine. You do. You I mean don't. to be offensive. You mean to be offensive. Which part it's was okay. meant to be offensive, Wendy? You're, you're being offensive. Which part? You are being offensive. Right now? And... Wendy, I, I'm asking questions. You're you're accusing me of something, and I wanted to know when. Oh, you're you've accused me of quite a lot. You've accused me of quite a lot of stuff. I'm not sure what I accused you of. I'm but... just not sure where we're gonna go. All right. On this, but I appreciate the conversation. I wish I appreciate you well. the time as well and the I conversation. I will pray that God reveals Himself in a new way to you, so that you can see and experience what Still I feel waiting. because. Yep. If your if your heart is not open to it, there's no way. There's that's no not true. Way. That's not true. Saul's heart okay. was not open to Yahweh, and Jesus okay. revealed Himself to him. Did He not? I'll give you that. I will give you that. Absolutely. So therefore, why? Sure, I recant why is he that. Waiting? Yeah, I'll go. All right. Well, I can't pray that I why. have a Saul moment or something. I will. I absolutely okay. will. I know. Let's see that if that works. Like I've got so a lot of patronizing people for you, but that's okay. Well. I, Doc, I appreciate yeah. being on the receiving end of all I this. Appreciate, I appreciate the time. When I hear, that's just one example. When I hear no, a story yeah. like that, I'm like, that's how things work. That's it one way that to, it's to like that. interpret the hermeneutics of it, of course. But totally. when, you, when you dive down into these, these other specific, Jesus wants his disciples to hate their family. If That's Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Why would, why would Jesus specifically jesus that you know the, the happiest little guru on the planet why would he why would he want you to hate anybody first off that doesn't make a whole lot of sense and let alone your own family your wife your kids why would jesus want you to hate your wife and kids see uh, again and i'm gonna tell you keep going home and the next person sitting here anybody watching this listen to me don't come here lightly listen don't, don't come here not ready mike wasn't playing he didn't tell me none of this i'm listening just y'all gonna watch this to the end listen <laughs> Mike didn't tell me what was going on here. And it was no setup. So what I love is that everything you just watched from him is genuine. And trust me, I was sitting there like, okay, I right, listen, I'm gonna rock out with it. But anybody that has a Spider-Man on their microphone will always be cool with me. So at yeah, the end of the day, please understand this. Faith is faith to what you think, but never feel disrespected when somebody questions your faith or your reason behind your faith. I love the fact that Mike pressured me tonight because that pressure makes me now have to consider where I'm at. And if it hits solid ground, maybe I'll go back and look at things differently, or maybe my conviction got even stronger tonight. Only the future will tell. So Mike, I appreciate you. I appreciate you, man. <laughs> where can we find your stuff?